Digital 410 Productions proudly presents the What's the Scuttlebutt podcast with your hosts Don Abernathy and Jeff Copsetta. Eugene Slades came whenever we came back off of New Britain to Pavovo. Sledge was there, for, uh, come in as a replacement, and he was assigned to my squad. And uh, I knew that he'd had a little bit of college and uh, but he was just a green kid like uh, I was whenever I first got there. And uh, I never thought too much about him uh, one way or the other as far as him uh, where he was a good Marine or where he wasn't a good Marine. He went through all the training and everything that we went through. And uh, then we went on, went on into Peleliu and Whenever we hit Peleliu, well, uh, Sledge always did what I told him to do or asked him to do and never hesitated. And you can't ask much more than that of a Marine, of a guy, your buddy. And uh, I always admired Sledge for the simple reason that uh, the way I understood it, his dad was a uh, medical doctor and... Uh, they were pretty well off, I think, and uh, so they had a yard boy and they had a nanny and a cook and everything like that. And said his only responsibility was to feed his dog. And uh, I thought the kid come out of an uh, environment like that and uh, come into the Marine Corps as, as strict as they are and as much physical uh, uh, training as you get and mental training uh, I thought he did real well and well, I always admired him for that sticking sticking in uh, welcome everybody to like another episode of the what's the scuttlebutt podcast your favorite world war ii based podcast and we are back again we're excited to have once again henry sledge but first and foremost jeff how are you friend how's everything in texas couldn't be better shout out just a quick heads up and um Here's the hope, and everybody in Louisiana is all right from the hurricane tonight. Um, being down here in Florida and someone who's lived through six hurricanes myself, um, I know even on a good hurricane, quote unquote, if there is one, um, long consecutive days and weeks in the hot summer without power and water, even if you don't have any property damage, still sucks and can take a toll on the family, not only financially. But uh, it's just rough. So for all the people who were just going through that hurricane today, um, you know, our thoughts are with you guys. And going without being said, our thoughts are with the family members of the 13 Marines who uh, and the corpsmen who lost their lives in the service last Sunday. But on those notes, how are you guys doing, Henry? How are you? Doing well. Doing well. Happy to be here again. Jeff, I just thought we'd pick up kind of where we left off on last week's episode. First and foremost, we'd like to talk about the fancy things behind you, that mortar, though, huh? <laughs> and that's very theme-appropriate for this episode. Yeah. Yeah, I thought so. <laughs> nice piece. So last week, you are telling Henry that you would like to take the opportunity to just explain a little bit about uh, your experiences with uh, the HBS Pacific and all things EB Sledge and, and uh, the PTO, and it's affected on uh, what you've gone through. Yeah. So I guess first uh, to tell that story, I kind of want to talk a little bit about the first time I saw uh, a band of brothers. Um, 
and it, it was it was kind of a funny thing looking back. Uh, I had uh, it was uh, one of my squad leaders. We were overseas, and one of my squad leaders uh, was real proud that his wife had bought him the Band of Brothers box set. Now this is in this would have been for Christmas of two thousand four. I'm pretty sure that's the year it came out. I mean, I, I don't remember hearing Band of Brothers, a miniseries, before we left. So I'm pretty sure that's about the time it came out. It, it was pretty new. I just and, found uh, out, not to interrupt you, but I just found out from reading this book we'll get into later, it actually premiered two days before 9-11. Yes. Yep. Really? Yes. It premiered two days before 9-11. And in this book, to make a reference to how uh, the impact of what the men were going through, how it was kind of... Obviously, not intended during production, but how that spoke to what we were going through, and you know, as a country, and and the blow that we just went undertook. But that's actually brought up in this book. Yeah, two days prior to nine eleven, it premiered on HBO. Well, well, I was only three years off there. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, not everybody had HBO. I mean, let's be honest. So, well, I, you know, I was in basic training. I was up at Fort Knox when September eleventh happened. So maybe I was just kind of a little bit busy from yeah, from maybe. then until March of 04 when, when we went across the berm Iraq over there. But anyway, either way, we didn't have much time for, for movies. And uh, so it was pretty fresh uh, for a lot of us. And uh, yeah, so my squad later got this beautiful package in the mail. You know, she spent whatever it was. It was like $80 at the PX or whatever, you know, and she bought it for him, mailed it over, and nobody could borrow it. And if, you know, he had to be there, he had to be the one to put the disc in. Nobody touched it. I mean, real proud of it. And uh, so, you know, we, I think we watched it over the course of about a week, you know, or, or maybe longer because, you know, we had stuff to do. But there was a, a handful of us that tried to kind of tune into it, you know, in the evening when we got done with our missions or whatever, or whenever we had downtime. And um, I, I'd never been so moved uh and maybe it was the environment I, I watched it in and um but i i definitely remember the end uh where you know i mean i probably watched it a hundred times and it's hard yeah. to not get a little bit emotional when you know when when major winners talks about you know that that very last scene where he's kind of signing off with the conversation with his grandson and i just kind of remember looking around the room with these guys that I saw every day that I couldn't stand being around kind of thing, but you're fighting next to them. Um, it kind of dawned on me then that maybe one day I'll look back and see these guys that same way. You know, we were 18, 19, 20 years old, or I turned 21 over there, but you know, it, it just, it, I guess it kind of made me see everything a little bit different. And uh, so that was kind of my, my introduction with that mini series. Uh, so naturally, and of course, you know, growing up, yeah. Um, you know, I was a huge fan of the mighty eighth, uh, you know, reading about it, you know, B 17s that was my thing, Memphis bell, but there was always kind of a soft spot. There was, there was kind of this weird enigma about the Pacific that as a boy, it was just so hard to grasp the, the, the the tiny little specks that were the islands that we invaded and the vastness of, you know, what these fleet carriers were responsible for with, with Dauntlesses and Hellcats. And it, it was just, it was overwhelming to me as a kid. And, and, you know, 
the, the you know model airplanes, for example, you know, find that right model airplane to build for the Pacific, and I still do. I still do that kind of stuff. But I don't know. There was some. There was something about it. There was something different about the environment in the Pacific than there was to me for the boys over over in Europe. And and I don't know what it is. They're, they're just. I, I don't know. I can't explain it. It, it was grittier, maybe. Um, you know. I don't know. I wasn't there. There was just something about it. So when uh, I picked up a book, I'm always reading. Don knows this. Always, always reading. And uh, I think it was 2012, 2013, somewhere in there. Um, and, and I'm not exactly sure when the the Pacific debuted. I, I don't know when that debuted. Uh, what was that there? 2010. <clears throat> okay, well, I certainly didn't see it when it was new because I do remember, I'm pretty sure my daughter was was born and she was born in 11. But anyway, I got a real bad case of pneumonia. I was hospitalized with pneumonia. I, I was physically picked up out of my bed and taken to the emergency room. And I remember being told in the emergency room, oh, okay, you have some you know time to take because you're going to be sick for a while. And I said, yeah, as a matter of fact, I'm, I'm going down to the coast uh, tomorrow morning. And they're like, yeah, no, you're not. Like, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Actually, little did you. <laughs> Little did you know, you'll be like Chuckler on Plavuvu. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. So the next day, I, I drove the wife and kids, and we took my mom down to a, to a cabin on, on Copano Bay down there in Fulton, down you know by uh, Port Aransas, and spent the week down there. And, and I just distinctly remember that trip because I was reading Hugh Ambrose's The Pacific. I was mm-hmm. reading that book, and, and I, you know, I didn't have HBO. I've never had HBO, so maybe that's why the miniseries passed me up. Um, you know, I probably didn't even have a smartphone then, so I, I probably had no way to see it. But I do remember after reading that book and hearing about it, oh my gosh, if this is anything like Band of Brothers, I can't wait. Finally, that this is what I want to see. And, and we kind of talked about it in that last episode. I was really looking forward to the character, the uh, the Dauntless pilot in Midway. Mm-hmm. I've always wanted to, I've wanted to feel like I'm in a Dauntless and a 70 degree dive, you know, and the cinematic, beautiful masterpiece and just, you know, and, and I think the the Midway film, you know, recently came, came pretty close to what I was looking for then. But of course, yeah, now we like it. What's that, sir? I, I liked the 2019 Midway movie. I, I really but not really, to get you off track. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I can talk about that one all day. But uh, anyway, so. Uh, so I finally got to see it and I'll be honest, I didn't like it at first. And, and I think maybe because, um, I expected more of the band, but even though I knew the characters in the book and I knew they weren't in the same unit, but it was really kind of confusing to watch at first and even my wife was kind of the same way you know and, and you know we've talked about this in previous episodes where around winter time you know my wife and i we sit down we watch band of brothers it happens every year yeah. that's going to happen cool, cool crisp autumn nights you gotta have saving private ryan and then work into band of brothers and as it gets colder toward christmas it's bastone see i live in florida it's hot all the time i heard you guys talk about that on an earlier episode and i'm like man these guys are talking my language i'm the same way <laughs> <laughs> I, it's something about a cool September, October night. I want to be watching Saving Private Ryan. 
you get on into the colder weather, man, it's time to go to Bastogne. Real quick, Henry, <laughs> I tried I tried to get in your camp. I went on two days ago, looked for a thin red line, see if I can find it anywhere. I could have got it off Amazon for three ninety nine, but I refused to pay for it. So if there was a free version, I was going to rewatch it and give you a new acquired um, opinion on the movie because it's been probably fifteen years since I've seen it. If the damn thing would have been free, I just could not bring myself, based on my original opinion, to pay the three dollars for it. I sat down and watched it Friday night. Okay, and I, that's I mean I, I don't want to Jeff's Jeff's on a on a channel. Sure, here. I don't want to off but go ahead jeff i mean we oh man we could go on about that <laughs> yeah we, we could go on but um for, for I, i'm saying all that for if there was anybody that's listening or, or anybody that's watching it right now um if, if they watch it the first time and they didn't like it for for some of those similar reasons watch it again because mm-hmm. you you can't you just can't go into that miniseries with the same mindset that you do Band of Brothers. It, it, it is, it's totally different. And, and once you understand that, once you kind of mentally prepare for what you're about to witness, and it takes a couple times, there were some character development flaws, I thought, in, in some of the, the minor characters. Um, you know, I, I, I do remember the first time seeing it. One, I'll, I'll give you an example, and I, and I can't think of the guy's name, but it's the guy that Lecky sees in jail on – was it Pavuvu or whatever? It's interesting. Was he the guy who shot the dude on Cape Gloucester. He, no, he he's choked the guy. Yeah, he choked the guy. And it's interesting yes. you said that. I think it's Douglas, something like that. I, I remember Actually, the character. I, I have yeah. notes on that. Go ahead, Jeff, because I think I know where you're going. And I, when Henry and I got to talking, I went back and rewatched it. And when I first watched the series, I thought that character, or and no disregard to the actor, but the way the character was presented he was such a non he was like a nobody until that episode you're like who's this guy again and right. it wasn't until like my 17th rewatching last week that i see that you they, see him everywhere you see and not only that but you hear where like in post-production they'll put his name in there almost as if they realized when they got to the end that oh shit this guy wasn't around enough that it meant as much as it should have and i actually had that in my notes for last week but go ahead i'll, I'll look at his name yeah yeah so i mean that you were we're really getting picky there, but um, it, it, it is fabulous. And, you know, I, I grew up about an hour from Raritan, New Jersey, you know, the home mm-hmm. of John Bassalone. And, mm-hmm. you know, I've been to that statue a couple of times. Um, he's really something. In fact, the first time I went to Raritan uh, was in October timeframe. And apparently I was there a week, either a week prior or a week after they have John Bassalone Day. And and I guess is it John Sarah the actor yeah from the Seda Seda oh Seda yeah he goes there apparently every year dressed as Barcelona for the parade really I, I news to me yeah um, but yeah the whole Barcelona family is still there it's a beautiful little town in you know Raritan New Jersey it's got a the Raritan River runs right through it I mean you can kind of feel the colonial times around it right. you know it's just kind of one of those little little nooks of a town that kind of never really grew up. Um, mm-hmm. And it's really at an indescript traffic circle kind of thing where the statue is. It's not like it's downtown by you know the courthouse or anything. It's just mm-hmm. kind of there. But, and there's like a, it's either a stop sign or traffic light, whatever, but people stop there. And when I was there 
everybody that stopped there, they rolled their windows down and it was cold. They rolled their windows down like, that's our boy. That's Johnny. That's our man. You know, that's hometown mm-hmm. hero. Great. You know, and, and I think probably my opinion, the Pacific miniseries may have something to do with that. Yeah. They knew he was there. They saw the statue, but I'm curious. I have a feeling that that exposure kind of reopened that stuff, you know, and, and that's the biggest thing to me with, with the Pacific. Um, they really, I think they shed a lot of light on the Pacific campaign in general, because let's face it, when we look, when you, when you crack open a history book, you know, it's Pearl Harbor, Iwo Jima, Adam Bomb. That's yeah. the Pacific. <clears throat> Pretty much. Yeah. In the history books today. And, you know, and nobody's we, heard of it. And we see uh, that when regular non-World War II people find out the D-Day had, was a generic term used for the beginning of every single operation, not just Normandy, France. People just assume D-Day, and and I get it. But to your point, you know, people who don't research it, the Pacific and the Band of Brothers both did a fantastic job on making people who deserve accolades finally get those accolades and and knowledge. And the other thing too about the Pacific and the John uh, the, and the um, John Bazelon stuff. It kind of goes to show you how things have changed substantially. I'm 43. I still feel like a young fella. I know, Jeff, you're in your what, late 30s? Mm-hmm. Lena was 33 when she became a widow. Mm-hmm. Never remarried. That's To me, that's astonishing. She was so young, had so much of her life, and she was just like, that's it. Uh, that's, I'm going to be Mrs. Bazelon the rest of my life, and... Uh, I'm going to mourn the rest of my life. And to me, that just, and itself kind of seems a little tragic, but it also yeah, says something about love and family, at least in that time. But it's like, damn, she's only 33. Now when I'm 23, uh, oh wow, she was, you know, she was old, but now I'm 40. Like, yeah. fuck, fuck. She was only 33 and that was it for her. And that just seems so tragic. You know, Jeff, to your point, I mean, again, going back to conversations with Bruce McKenna, Okay. You know, Bruce was one of the main creators of Band of Brothers. Uh, He was instrumental with the Pacific, uh, as I believe I went into some last week. But he knew how much I loved Band of Brothers. And, you know, he told me, he said, now, Henry, I'm telling you that this thing's going to be different. And to not repeat what I might have said last week, you know, one of the consultants for HBO on the Pacific was Richard Frank who, you know, Rich Frank is a very well-known PTO historian. He, he wrote, I think, the definitive book on Guadalcanal. Uh, he I've also met him wrote, several times. Okay. Yeah. Rich is a good friend of mine. He was a good friend of my dad's. Um, I got to be really good friends with him during, you know, 2009, 2010, when the, the Pacific was coming out. And I remember he and I talked on the phone uh, several times, really, but one of our conversations before it it premiered, he said, you know, in Band of Brothers, you saw like the scope that they presented of army operations. You know, you saw majors and colonels and lieutenant colonels and generals. You know, you saw kind of that whole that whole rubric of, of command structure. And he said the Pacific is underneath the rim of the helmet. It is that individual perspective. And so that's why they explored things like my dad being haunted so much by his experience and, and Robert Leckie. I mean, you know, he had a harrowing time of it himself. I mean, um, and the Pacific explored that more than band of brothers did. 
Now, with three separate characters and three separate storylines, you know, I I read all the reviews. I read what people were saying because I was primed. I wanted to know what people thought because I wanted so desperately for people to like it. I wanted desperate, desperately to like it. Um, but again, even though I had had been coached on what to not compare it to, I still compared it to Band of Brothers. How could you not? And so I'll be honest, and I told you guys this, you know, I watched it when it came out, my wife and I did. And of course, I was so close to the story. There were things, you know, like the the damn thing with the 45 and all. Well, you know, and there were other things. And I'm just like, why did they do this? Why did they do that? And I was really angry at first. And roll on a number of years to to basically, you know, now. And it just, it's fortuitous the way things work out. But I've, I've gotten involved in a couple of projects that have shown me that the Pacific had legs. It has legs. It's, it's, it stands up. I mean, and I think people, the people who are going to care about this kind of thing and who, who go back to Band of Brothers, go back to the Pacific, they have an awareness that, okay, these were two completely different projects. Okay. The, the goals of the Pacific were different from Band of Brothers. Um, I was reading some random reviews on the internet and, and one guy, just some nameless, faceless person who watched both and was addressing which one was better. And Jeff, he's probably around your age, just guessing from what he said. But he said, I, I grew up watching Band of Brothers, and then I watched the Pacific, and I went in the military. And I don't know where he served or anything, but he said, I went into the military expecting it to be like Band of Brothers. <laughs> I came out of it realizing it was more like the Pacific. <laughs> and I that you know that was kind of heavy because what he was saying was sure I mean there's the camaraderie and all that but I mean it, there's a lot of dark mental stuff that can happen to individuals too and I you know let me just say right off the bat I was never in the military okay so I can only imagine what people who were and had to be overseas what what they deal with but um certainly growing up seeing my dad and and how he uh, wrestled with the demons that he wrestled with and successfully and conquered them. You know, I saw the the iron will and the self-discipline that he had to have to not let all that get on top of him. But suffice it to say that, you know, after, you know, here a couple of weeks ago, sitting down and saying, okay, I, I'm going to, I mean, guys, I still had the box set that they gave me out in Hollywood still wrapped up in plastic. I hadn't even, you know, other than when I watched it on HBO, I hadn't even opened that thing. So I cut the plastic off of it and sat down and said, okay, I'm, I'm, I'm going to introductions, interview the whole bit. I'm going to take in the entire experience. And I watched it not once, but twice. And, and, you know, I, I completely reassessed my opinion of it. Now, you know, I, look, you can't be as close to that story as I was and not wish they'd done certain things differently. But, Overall, I, I just completely reassessed my opinion of it. And I think the producers of that show, they were kind of in a damned if you do, damned if you don't situation. Yes. Because if it would have been like Band of Brothers, then, oh, it's just Band of Brothers light. Yeah. You know? And so they were kind of in a position where, you know, one, it's a completely different environment. Once again, for what, you know, the, not only were they fighting against the Japanese, but they're fighting against the environment. But in the world of Hollywood and, 
production and all that, they were in a sticky situation because I like I don't know, like I just said, it's if they would have been too much like Band of Brothers, people that would have been the criticism. And then they made it not like Band of Brothers. And for some people, that was a criticism. That was a criticism, yep. Now, I liked it because, as I said last week, I had read your father's book before I even before they even announced the show. And so I went into it just stacked and ready to go because I was probably eight <clears> months <throat> off of reading your dad's book. I actually think I read it twice. So I read it once, made cool. the decree they need to make this into a miniseries. And when I found out they did or were working on it, I read it again. And so when his scenes came up, I was like, oh, I knew what was happening and the scene with the entrenching tool and the Marine is having the nightmares and you know, the, where they, I'm sure in real life it was a snafu, but when they had snafu throwing the rock into the, the skull of the Jap machine gunner and all that, it was yeah. like, I was in more importantly, the scene where your father's on Okinawa and he slides into the, the uh, foxhole with the dead Marine <clears throat> that in, yeah. People don't realize the importance of that scene if you haven't read the book because in the book that marine's body was a timepiece, a literal timepiece. Yes. Your father referred to it. He saw it the day that the marine died. He saw it 3 days later, and every time he was going back from going out on front lines or doing the duties that he was made to do back to his foxhole, he was using the the decomposition of that body as a timeline for how long he had been there and then to end up sliding down there and he goes into great detail talking about how the soil and the maggots and all that stuff and so that scene itself was kind of like a just kind of thrown in there i wish they would have put a little bit more of the timeline but once again they had to push it down into one episode whereas you know pelu they did two episodes but you know for so for me i was just i enjoyed it because i knew the subject matter was completely different because I was already off the book twice before I even sat down and watched the initial viewing of it. So I was, I greatly appreciate it, but I can understand how, you know, I've had this conversation multiple times with different people and it's, it is interesting. And I think this is a good challenge for those watching or listening to this podcast who maybe were in both you and Jeff's camp who, and maybe my camp with a thin red line. I may go back and like it, but give it a second watch, a third watch. Um, I think you'll definitely come around. And um, speaking of Band of Brothers, we didn't get to this last week. You were getting ready to participate in another uh, podcast. If you want to give us a little plug on that and send people that way, it's a very cool project, yes. and I'm stoked for you on this. This is very exciting. Uh, so there is a project called We Happy Few 506. Uh, it's It involves two buddies of mine in the UK named Leighton Hughes and then uh, an actor from Band of Brothers who played Floyd Talbot. His name is Matthew Leach. They have gotten together, and I, I don't know when they started this, but they started doing Zoom, live Zoom watch-along chat events following Band of Brothers, and they would involve different actors, writers, creators, producers, just anybody from the entire Band of Brothers camp that they could get involved, They and some family members. And it would just be a very nominal ticket price, uh, but, but people would get a ticket, watch this thing, see these people come together, watch the particular episode. Um, sorry, we're getting some local alerts here. Yeah, I can imagine. But, um, and, and it, it's garnered quite a following. Well, so after they did some of this, they, they also like, they were also fans of the Pacific. They said, well, hey, 
let's do something and cross over and, and cover the Pacific. And so they reached out to me and uh, probably it's been a few, several weeks ago now, maybe a month ago. And uh, we had a couple of initial conversations and I don't want to give away any names of actors who are getting on board, but man, it's like a train coming through town and people are just jumping on it. And they're going to be writers, people who are producing, uh, directing, like I said, some of the actors, um, it's, it's the, you know, the people are jumping on board. So I think the first event for the Pacific will be September 4th. Okay. But, uh, for, for right now, I guess they're going to have information on the We Happy Few 506 website that may splinter off and be its own thing at some point for the Pacific. But but as of right now, anybody wanting information on that could go to We Happy Few 506. And, and, and as always, we always incorporate any um, relevant links like that on the WTSPWorldWar2.com. So if you're watching this video or you're listening in your car, um, once it goes live tomorrow, obviously you don't have to worry about jotting it down. Just whenever you get home or pulled over or whatever, just get out your phone or on your computer. Just go to WTSPWorldWar2.com. On the homepage, you'll see the link for this episode. Go there, and there will be links to that website and any other content we talk about. We do have a mail call coming up, but before we get to that mail call, since we're kind of on the subject of Band of Brothers, um, you know, Jeff and I, we've had some authors on in the past and a lot of times, um, in the past I would have an author on after I read a book and Jeff's gone after some authors, authors after he's read some books. And so when we suggest a book to you, it's because, you know, we've read the damn thing. We think it's a great book and we want to share it. Well, hang tough, which we had the author on, um, this is a little different because, well, you know, Jared had been on our podcast, I think, three times before because not only is he a reenactor, he's a historian, and he's just a great guy. His knowledge base is insane. And so when Jared was talking about this book on his Facebook page, and give credit to his co-author is Eric Dorr. So this is Eric Dorr and Jared Frederick. We had him on talking about this book. This is Hang Tough, The World War II Letters and Artifacts of Major Dick Winters. And what separates this book between any other Band of Brothers book you've read 93% of this book is transcripts of letters that Dick wrote to um, a woman that he met in basic training, or at, I'm sorry, an officer training school named Dieta. And so there's, and basically after Band of Brothers came out, uh, Dieta's daughter contacted him and said, are you Dick Winters? And he's like, yeah, she called him home. Band of Brothers, Dick Winters. Yes, I am. Do you know Dieta? So-and-so. Yes. Oh, I haven't talked to her since... Well, I have every single letter that you sent to my mother during your communications. And she sent him a photo album with every letter to which him and his wife, much like your father and your mom, Henry, sat down and painstakingly typed out. And not only typed out, typed out multiple copies for all the kids in the family and both families and kept the originals for themselves. Well, when um, Eric and Jared got access to this stuff and they're looking through all the Dick Winters estates, material they came across these letters and they're like boom there's our book if you want an insight on this guy read this book the letters you feel you're reading his own personal writing his own vernacular his own thoughts and i'm i'm in the book now i just started a few days ago because i just finished um china marine i'm at the point now where he just did the d-day landings but just what was going on in his mind through officer training school and going home before 
this thing is this is a fantastic book and i i strongly suggest you you guys i got this one on um, amazon if you're a fan of uh band of brothers or dick winters but you want an insight into the mind and thought process of dick winters this book is just amazing. I, I can't put the damn thing down. I was reading it for like two hours before I took a nap before the podcast today. So I strongly <laughs> suggest going out and getting this book because, you know, it's one thing to read other authors and Jared and Eric do a great job filling in the gaps in between letters, but just reading their own words, it's just mind blowing because you feel like you're having a conversation with the guy. Um, it's just crazy thing real quick. Cause we got to get ready to take our break. Um, I'm kind of into fitness. I do OCR training. I go running all the time. I lost 40, 50 pounds a few years back. Dieta is writing to Dick Winters about his diet and his fitness regimen. Cause as you guys seen from the photos, the guy was, he was built. He was in great physical shape. The fact that he's telling her things that fitness people talk about now, which is there are no secret. It's all about diet exercise. Watch out for your carbs. Eat more proteins. This guy is, was telling her things back in 1942, the honest truth about fitness and diet and not calling it a diet. It's a lifestyle change that, you know, fitness people are trying to get out there now to squash down all the lies about the magic pill, about the slim fast and all that. And it's like, he, there's no secret. He was talking about it in 1942 and yet we're still wondering what the magic secret is. And so just... It's so amazing how things, even back then, a lot of it is true to today. And the things they talk about, it's just, I cannot strong uh, suggest this book enough. So I highly recommend you guys go out and get Hang Tough, The World War II Letters, and Artifacts, A Major Dick Winters. And I actually sent Jeff a photo. And it may have been published before, but I don't remember seeing it. They actually have a photo of the um, court-martial papers between Sobel and Dick Winters in here. And they have a bunch of uh, previously unpublished photos. There's a photo of Winters like laying out on his beach towel, like all modeling it up. And it's, it's just like weird just to see him and his him and Diet out horseback riding. And the fact that he would just wear his his pants and his leggings around town when he was home on vacation. Just it just if you really want to get the no dick winners, get that book. Whew, got that out of the way. But go ahead, Jeff. Speaking of books, real quick, I just wanted to say that um I think the first book I ever read about World War II, I want to say I was either 11 or 12 years old. I was young middle school age was, was Richard Chagaskis Guadalcanal diary. I have it right here. And, uh, yeah, I want to say that's the first one. And I probably read a couple hundred, four or 500 books on World War II since then. But I want to share this with, uh, with Henry. Uh, my 15 year old son is reading your dad's book right now. Oh, cool. And, uh, yeah, yeah, I, I, uh, I'm blessed to have a son that, that um, he fits in as much as he needs to at school, but he doesn't fit in, you know, in, in a lot of ways and, sure. and, and in good ways. Yeah, uh, I, I get and, it. I know where you're going with this. Yeah. And, and, and I just, I just want to say if, if anybody's listening that has any kind of uh, authority or clout or, or anything in the movie business, um, could y'all keep the, the, you know, the wall banging, you know, sex out of these miniseries, please. Mm. <laughs> you know, well, the language these kids, they hear it on the school bus, so I get it. But, man, you know, I've said this before on, on other videos and stuff that I've done on YouTube about this. I, I just, if I had one complaint, if I could ever meet Mr. Hanks or Mr. Spielberg, and it sounds like, to me, I think I'd probably enjoy more time uh, speaking with Mr. McKenna 
than probably those other two. But, you know, if you go back into some of those older movies like Battle of the Bulge, you could tear that movie mm-hmm. apart because, oh, look at those Tiger tanks slash M47s or, what, you know, whatever they were. Yeah. Tanks. Who cares? Who cares? Because, you know, I grew up watching it as a little kid. My son grew up watching it as a little kid. And it doesn't have to be 100% accurate for people. Just to whet your appetite, you do the research, you know. that it, That's not – movies are meant to entertain. You know, they're not documentaries for a reason. So as long as you expose, like, oh, Pearl Harbor, oh, they had to put romance and this and that. Yeah, they had to put romance. So you can take your girl to the freaking movie theater and she'll <laughs> actually pay attention for part of it. Yeah, That's what it's about, you know, or it's just a bunch of dudes watching Pearl Harbor together. Like, oh, this is cool. All right. You know, you have to do that. But it exposes them to it. And, you know, for good or for bad, and we can complain about movies like Pearl Harbor all we want, but... You know, it's great reference for t- material for women like my wife. They're like, I need that nurse's outfit. Where did they get that stuff for the movie? You know, mm-hmm. things like that. But, uh, yeah, if they could just keep the other crap out of it, man, I, uh, you know, I want my kids to see this. I mean, you know, my, my son grew up on the edited for TV version of Saving Private Ryan. I mean, we'd watch it a couple times a year. He loved that movie. Yeah. You know, um, but anyway, well, that's my... On that note, Jeff, on that, my son's 13. Okay. And we, I I have only just this year started to peel the curtain back. He's always known that, that his grandfather, you know, he's always known about with the old breed. I mean, that's just part of the DNA. There's no way he can't know about it, but we, I've started to peel the curtain back on, on the Pacific. There's a lot of it. I haven't let him see a lot of that Okinawa stuff is just, my God, it's mm-hmm. disturbing, you know, but, but the, you know, the Peleliu landing, the Peleliu attacking across the airfield, I've let him watch that stuff and, you know, F-bombs and all. And I mean, here's the thing. I mean, I, I you know, I could hear another parent say that and think, man, that's a bad call, but our son is, he's got a good head on his shoulders and he and I talk and I'm like, Jack, I'm letting you watch this because it's telling a valuable story, but I don't approve of the language. Don't want you using it. You're hearing it enough at school, you know, but uh, I get where you're coming from, Jeff. I mean, you know, it's, I'm just glad that he's showing some interest in it. I don't want to cut you guys off. We're, we're down at the bottom of the countdown clocks. So if you guys watching at home, hold tight. We'll be right back, and uh, we'll finish up with part uh, second half of part two. We'll be right back. Small and we are dog. back. And uh, thank you guys for that quick little interlude. Hey, there's Jeff. He's, he's sneaking on the screen. You know, Jeff, before we went to break, I just kind of want to say as far as what the things we're talking about, about the sex and all that, that's kind of like the default template for HBO programs. Um, you go back like to the early days when they were kind of making a name for themselves as far as exclusive contents. It's almost like that's how they get people to come over. Hey, what separates us from TV shows is we can show nudity and high profanity. And so it almost seems like every single HBO series, <laughs> you're going to see at least one topless woman at some point. And so it just seems to be part of the generic template. But I understand definitely what you're getting at there, especially when you want to share it with your kids. And maybe it'll be an episode for the OG5 podcast because the content really doesn't fit well here um carrie and i were just having that conversation earlier we saw a new commercial for the new release of cinderella and it being 2021 the fairy godmother is well yeah 
not a woman. <laughs> ah, <laughs> so yeah, of they, course. They had to change things up. So he's still he's still going by the name Fairy, but yeah. yeah. So take that for what it is. So and we we're talking about like, what if you're you know you're that's fine and all, but what if you're a Christian based fan? Well, then you go and you watch the seventy year old version of the cartoon and not the live action one. But anyhow, I digress. Mail call time. Ooh yeah, hold on. I actually did some production on this a little earlier. I thought I did. Huh. Look at that. Yep. See, this is why I need a producer. So then they can hit all the buttons in the background. Oh, yeah, I did. did. I did. We asked you guys last week to send us some emails, some questions for Mr. Sledge, and you followed through. And uh, so we do have a stack of emails and questions and a pretty deep conversation about uh the the hpt cap maybe we'll save for another episode um let's see here jonathan from facebook says the what's a scuttlebutt podcast i did not jot down your email so i hope you'll take it here mr sledge what is the most important thing or things you want people to know about your father and remember him for that we do not know and you spoke of your mother. Same question as well. Thank you, sir. Uh, what I would say in response to that would be that what, what people don't know, and, and having watched the Ken Burns 2007, the war, and then the Pacific, they see a guy who, as we have discussed, was really haunted by some terrible things that he went through in the war what nobody would ever really know and only I could share with them was that the real Eugene sledge that, that all that was true. Okay. As it was for a lot of young men who came home, but man, Eugene sledge had a sense of humor that few people could imagine. I mean, I knew, you know, he was a college professor for his entire career and I knew a lot of people who had him for a teacher or a professor. And I can remember people telling me, man, your dad is freaking hilarious. I mean, he keeps us in stitches. Now, you know, he was, I mean, he dropped the hammer on him. He dropped the proverbial sledgehammer on him academically. He was known for being extremely tough. Uh, but he had a great, highly defined uh, and well-honed sense of humor. And, you know, I think he had iron will and determination. I mean, the demons that he wrestled with were, he conquered them. And we had a happy family growing up and he always encouraged my brother and me to, to read on our own, uh, which we, we both have done always Uh, with me. It's mostly world war two books, but my father encouraged that he, um, great sense of humor, iron will and determination. And, and, you know, th- those are things that maybe it was hard to convey, you know, through the mini series. And I'm not saying that they failed to, it's just, it really maybe wasn't. Uh, it, actually, I will say that there, there were intentions early on. They wanted to do a scene where like the sledge character gets in the shower, you know, he, he goes in to take a shower they do like a fog over the lens. He gets out of the shower, you know, 40 years later as a, as a grown family man. And somehow they were going to work that in with being a professor and the fact that he wrote a book that was pretty famous. And I remember them telling us, well, we shot it and it just didn't work. We decided to not do it. 
but anyway, um, I hope I've answered the gentleman's question. Um, that the first half, and I have a follow-up about his question about your mom, but real quick, you and I discussed this, I think probably off the air, and Jeff and I have talked about it on air. When it comes to these miniseries, they have so many episodes to get so many messages across, and obviously sometimes they take broad stroke feelings or thoughts that they want to convey and append it to a character. But one of the things that kind of, especially after reading China Marine, I don't want to say a disservice, but a, an, a kind of a misdirection. You're, as far as at least I can make out from China Marine, your father did not have a disdain for the Marine Corps uniform as in the Pacific. Oh, I'll never, Correct. I'll never put on that uniform ever again. No, he actually, he loved that uniform in China he Marine. Did. He, he went out of his way to explain how the Marine Corps, uh, dress greens were finer uniform than the army's class A uniforms and how when he got home um, a lot of people don't realize this these guys have been gone two three four years they're bigger they're they're, they're taller and a lot of their old clothes didn't fit them and even though the economy was bouncing back you have all these guys going home you know how hard how hard it is to find uncrustables at the grocery store now that kids are going back to school imagine millions of young men coming home trying to find clothes your father said he wore his uniform for quite a long time until he had the ability to rebuild his wardrobe i I don't know and there's a picture i want to grab if i can step away for just a second but i yeah you make a good point i mean when, when he said no i'll never wear that uniform again that that was that had nothing to do and i'm not saying anybody inferred this but that that in no way was a recrimination of having been a Marine, being in the Marine Corps. I can tell you this. I mean, all his life on his, the leather belt that he would, his everyday belt. Mm -hmm. My dad had an EGA on that belt. Um, You know, when he was a a middle-aged college professor and I was a little kid and I would go over to the campus to go in his office and visit him, you know, there was, well, you'd walk in his office and it had this, you know, institutional metal filing cabinet, right? You know, every office had one. And on the end of his, there was a maroon sticker. And I just remember this from early childhood. That sticker was, when you're the finest, it's hard to be humble, United States Marines. And, you know, and of course, in the 70s, think about who a lot of his students were. Mm-hmm. Young guys coming home from Vietnam. Mm-hmm. And they they found a common ground with him having been a combat Marine from World War II that they didn't find with a lot of their other professors. And I got to know some really cool guys, you know, when, when I was eight, nine years old that had been in Vietnam uh, and <clears throat> in some cases had been through some heavy stuff. And they, they found something with my dad that they couldn't find with, very many other people around a college campus. Yeah, especially during the political views of the war at that time. I mean, being on a college campus and the way a lot of his professors lean, I'm sure they saw your father's classes kind of being a sanctuary almost because they can get yeah. away from those feeling those boisterous, um, loud feelings that people were happily sharing back then about how they felt about people who fought in combat. So I'm sure you know, your father probably didn't have to say anything. Just being in that room and not hearing the crap that they probably hear 18 hours a day was just a nice sanctuary. Certainly. Um, real quick, a part two of his thing. And I wanted to ask you this last week. Um, 
Same, he asked, uh, and he spoke of your mother, same question as well. Did your mother, oh, what what did she do during this time? Did she, um, you know, what was her life like while, you know, obviously she didn't know your father at the time, but during World War II, you know, what was things during like World for her? During World War II, um, well, she, my mother, I've seen pictures of her when she was uh, a young lady, and she was quite attractive. Um, she was in Mobile. Uh, she came from a large family, several brothers and si- one sister and several brothers. But, uh, you know, she didn't meet my dad until 1951, 52. But she grew up in, she was originally from, from Fort Walton Beach, Florida, okay. Fort Walton, Florida. Uh, but, she, you know, grew up in Mobile. And, uh, you know, still very much informative years for her during, during the World War II time. You said you mentioned you want to step away and uh, present something. So if you want to no. do that now, I'll just get the uh, promos out of the way. And so while you do that, mm-hmm. I'll just fill some space. As always, this episode of the What's the Scuttlebutt podcast is brought to you by our friends at At Computers. At Computers has been providing IT solutions for all of Southwest Florida since 2004 and the rest of the world well since probably about 2008. So even if you don't live in Southwest Florida and you have some computer issues, as long as your internet works, of course, they can help you. So give them a call at 239-283-1120. They'll send you to their website and log into your computer and assist you with your computer needs remotely. And if you do live in Southwest Florida, give them a call at 239-283-1120. And they can help you with desktop repair, laptop repair, screen replacements, um, camera installation, anything technical related, network expansion, Wi-Fi footprint expansions, anything of that nature. Give them a call at 239-283-1120. And as always, please head over to whatsthescuttlebutt.com or WTSPWorldWar2.com. Easier to remember unless you're me making up a brochure for this episode. Then you put in WTSP World War One, but that's another story for another time. Jeff texts me, why did you delete the banner? Because I'm dumb and I misspelled it. And Photoshop doesn't have spell check. But anyhow, I promptly fixed it. But yeah, head over to WTSPWorldWar2.com. If you're on your cell phone, I think you may have to scroll down a little bit on the new site. Click on that Patreon link, sign up. It's a dollar a month, and that will go a long way. Who knows? Maybe it'll even help us sort out our Zoom issues. And um, as always, if you want one of those sweet-ass shirts like Jeff's wearing, or you can't see mine because the microphone, I actually have the old-school WTSP with the... <clears throat> camouflage marine corps helmet you can pick these up over at our website use the promo code i listen it'll basically cover your shipping cost and uh that'll go to help you know that's not so much to help us monetarily but more to get the word out because word of mouth is huge uh, we won't go down to the trials and tribulations of facebook not sharing our posts that's another story for another time but if you want to help get the word out um, head over to WTSPRollWar2.com. You can get the shirt Jeff's wearing. Uh, my personal favorite shirts, which I still got to do the breakfast. I love the K-Ration shirts. We got the supper and the lunch shirts. Um, we got all kinds of shirts. So head over there and pick those up. And Henry is back. He's got another surprise for us. I was so excited. To, you know, I almost asked you, hey, can you open up your dad's haversack so I can see what your boy's written on the front of that because I'm such a dork. But what, yeah. what, what do you have to present us this week? Well, you know, I'm, I'm just trying to throw a few things out there that you're not going to see from the miniseries. You you mentioned uh, pictures coming back or from not long after the war. Mm-hmm. If you can see that. Yep. That's my dad. Not long after the war, just walking down the street in downtown Mobile. Yep. But um, that's just a quick shot there. This is just a quick photo of my wow. grandfather who had been a surgeon in world war one now he was stateside but he dealt with a lot of 
now we would call them PTSD cases, but you know, they called it shell shock back then. But my grandfather with my dad and his brother, my uncle Edward, who was a tank commander in second armored and was in battle of the bulge, by the way. What was his rank? Cause I was watching the last episode and it looked like he almost had a, uh... he, uh, he was a major. Yeah, so he, had, he had major. Now, he had a hell of a story. I mean, my uncle Edward was quite the hero. He had a bronze star, a silver star and three purple hearts. Now, um, I just shuffled the deck real quick because you're talking about your grandfather and uh, one of our emails from a Keegan says, Hey Henry, love last week's episode. Uh, I'm sorry. Love last week's episode. <clears throat> um, I guess this question may be a little out there, but he just, I guess, finished reading China Marine as well. And um, he was referring to um, how your grandfather was um, so insightful because he was telling your dad shortly after the hunting trip and, your dad's struggling to find his way in the world. He told him, go be a biologist, be a PhD, but do not be a medical doctor because, well, the government's intervention of socializing medicine, that it's going to deter doctors and uh, patients alike. And, and Keegan was saying to him, that was so insightful that your grandfather was so many years ahead and seeing which way the wind was blown in that topic. Uh, he was he developing that into a question or was he just more of a statement i guess he my grandfather i mean i didn't know him he died i think in 1953 54 i believe um but my dad always felt like my grandfather was what kept him grounded um and and really helped him keep his head on straight when he came home um and I think the dynamic that they showed in the miniseries was pretty, I think it was pretty spot on. You know, I can, I can remember my dad telling me about how, you know, my grandmother, my grandmother was pretty strong willed. And I mean, she sometimes didn't know when to stay out of certain situations and she would really have a lot to say about my dad when he was just sitting around kind of, you know, just trying to recuperate psychologically. And, you know, I remember my dad telling me that Pop was what we always call my grandfather or what they call him. Uh, and he said, you know, Pop would just come in and lay into her and just say, Mary Frank, leave that boy alone. You mm-hmm. have no idea what men like him have been through. I mean, they, they the scene they filmed in the miniseries was spot on, you know, was, as far as that goes with my grandfather and my grandmother. But, yeah, he was a very smart man. Um, he had been a major in – World War One, like I said, he was stateside, uh, but he had been a doctor, had treated shell shock cases. They even had at their home in Mobile, which was a place called Georgia Cottage, and that's the house at the end wow. of a very long driveway. I don't know how well you can see it. Yeah, we can see it. That's on that's on Spring Hill Avenue. Uh, now my grandmother sold that house in I think 1975, but before my dad shipped out, you know, when he was still like 17, 18 years old, uh, they would have wounded soldiers and and service people come out to the house and stay to convalesce. Wow. Um, I've even got a picture somewhere of one of them had his wedding at their house. And there's a picture of this young, looks like an army officer with his, his bride whole wedding party in my grandmother's, you know, front living room or parlor as they called it. And, you know, my dad's in the corner of the picture. He just looks like a 17-year-old high school kid. But, um, yeah, my grandfather was was quite a guy. One of the great regrets of my life was never um, 
never having known him. Yeah. Next email comes from Mr. Galen Wagner, who's been on the show once or twice. And as we said last episode, we owe everything to Galen for hooking us up because Galen yep. is the one who texted me at a early hour in the morning asking if I was interested in having you on. Absolutely. Um, he said, I would like to know if Henry knows about Sledgehammer's time at the Marion Military Institute. Did his dad talk about it at all? Did he believe that his time there had an impact on his moving, I'm sorry, on his life moving forward? Thanks a lot, Galen Wagner. That's a, man, that's a really good question. I, I I wanted to be prepared to give the best answer I could to any potential questions. So to answer Galen's question, yes, he did talk about Marion Military Institute. Um, I think he thought very highly of the institution and of his time there. We actually have a picture somewhere around here of him in his uniform when he was at MMI think he saw those as good years i would i would have to talk to my mother and i actually went over and saw her today and we watched last week's episode on her ipad because she wanted to see it um, that's awesome she, she could probably give better insight on that because i know he went to mmi you know it's in his book and in fact I remember when they were filming the miniseries, they had reached out to Marion and and there was they thought they might do, you know, some kind of tie-in there. They ended up not doing it. Uh, but yeah, I mean, he he t- he spoke of Marion m- many times when I was growing up. I think that, I will try to get more information on that. My mom would have a better perspective on it. I'm still blown away that Mrs. Sledgehammer knows who Jeff and I are now. Well, no, she does. I mean, I, you know, we were talking, Don and Jeff, and I, you know, it really, we got to talking about the miniseries and, you know, she, she agrees with me that Sledgehammer was probably tougher than the way they portrayed him. Uh, but like the scene where they go hunting at the end. Yeah. Okay. In part 10, um, you just read China Marines. So, you know, you know, they have, they have Joe Mazzello just fold up and start crying like he couldn't even do it. Nope. You know, the reality of it was, I mean, he shot 10 birds. With 10 shots. And, yeah. Because my grandfather comes back and he's sitting on the running board of the car. Oh, are you okay? Yeah, dad, I just, 10 for 10. I just, I can't do it anymore. Yeah. And Henry's connection is breaking up on why it buffers out and comes back. I'll just let everybody know. Uh, it, uh, Eugene used an old shotgun and uh, his grandfather's friends would say, you need to get a newer one. The fact that you're, you're using a shotgun is basically a center break one round shotgun. And so Eugene and his father would kind of play this knowing game that he would, in- he thought it was unsportsman that these guys are just going out there, plow, plow, plow. And so he would line up a shot and he would only squeeze off the one. And so for him, his, his grandpa, his dad to him, it was how many buck shots did I use? And so, as Henry just said before his internet cracked up, he actually went out, shot 10, only used 10 rounds, and it was when he saw the life leaving, as he greatly describes in China Marine, the brown eye of that dove. That's when he went back and said, I can't do this anymore. But as Henry's going to tell you right now, that was not his last hunting excursion. He went out on one more. Um. I don't know if we talked about this, Don. Do you have me okay? You got a good signal? No, you're good now. Okay. I do remember him telling me because I, I briefly got into deer hunting back when I was in my twenties and it, I was more into just going out in the woods and shooting a gun at a 
throwing a, you know, a stick in the river and shooting at that. I enjoyed sure. that more than hunting, but he thought it was great that I wanted to hunt. He fully supported that, but he uh, and my grandfather went deer hunting one time down on the Alabama river with some friends. And, you know, I remember my dad telling me that uh, he was in a stand right there by the Alabama river and this, they were running dogs and they, he heard the deer crashing through the woods and this young four point just stopped. I mean, you know, really close to him. And, you know, my dad said, I, I was standing there. I, I could have taken that thing out and he would have never known what hit him. And he said, I just, I stepped out and I whistled at him and did my hands like that. And he took off. He said, I had no desire that that was like ambush. I mean, he said, I had no desire to kill that thing. And and then everybody else came up. Oh, Eugene, man, that thing probably it had to come right by you. And mm-hmm. he said, Yeah, I didn't see it. I don't know. In the book, he was saying earlier that trip, he actually shot one with a shotgun, and uh, he told the property owner, "There's no sport in that. You can't miss with a shotgun." And so he, when the guys went out for the second round, the property owner took him down in the story and gave him a rifle. And so your dad sat down there with a rifle because he felt it was more sporting, but then he saw the majesty of it and he had no interest. And so he he actually did bag one earlier that day, but that was his last, after seeing that, that buck and the, and the does in the river, he, no interest. Can I I share uh, an anecdote with you? Please. I remember sitting in my dad's study, you know, when I was a kid, did it many times and just talking to him, about this stuff. And, you know, he was a biologist. Everybody in Montevallo knew the depth of his scientific knowledge. They knew that his specialty was birds. Okay. The study of birds. And if a, if a bird flew into somebody's plate glass window and got hurt or something, they would bring it to my dad. And I can remember, and I'm, I'm juxtaposing something here in, in his character, but I can remember a young baby bird. Somebody had brought him, and this thing was pretty bashed up. It wasn't going to survive. And we, we, you know, he was holding it in his hand and he held it in his hand when it died. And he said, I'm just trying to keep it warm, you know, cause it's not going to make it. I can tell there's no way. And so we sat there with it and it, and the little bird expired. And my father was really compassionate in that way. Now skip ahead to another time we were sitting in his study and I remember we were talking about his world war two experience. And I asked him, I said, dad, how many, how many Japanese soldiers do you think you killed? And, you know, he looked out the window and he said, well, you know, the 60 millimeter mortar was pretty, pretty effective weapon. Uh, but he said, I know what you're asking me. And he thought about it for a minute and, and I'm not going to say what he said. I'm going to keep that between him and me, but, you know, just the matter of fact, and he did, you know, it's not something he bragged about or was proud of. It was his job. That's what they were there for. But, you know, he could matter of factly answer that question completely devoid of any emotion. Next one comes from William. Um, So he loved the episode last week. Question he had is did, uh, let's see, did your family, um, actually, that's not the one. On re- I didn't want to read that one yet. Um, did, yeah, here we go. Uh, Ron, 
Good afternoon, Mr. Sledge. Quick question. Did you ever have the opportunity to meet Snafu growing up? Did he ever come to your house and visit your father, or did you ever see him at any of the reunions that your dad went to? Just wondering. It was sad to see how they didn't get a chance to say goodbye on the last scene of the miniseries. Thanks, Ron. I did meet Snafu in 1984. I came home, you know, we, I, I grew up in Montevallo and I graduated from Auburn University. But before I went to Auburn, I did go to Montevallo for a couple of years. And I can remember I came home one day from class and I walk in the living room and I see this short, stocky guy uh, sitting there with his wife. And I knew who Snafu was. I mean, I literally grew up hearing the name Snafu. I, it just, you know imagine conversations you've had with, with each of you, each with your dads, you know, and things they would say, I heard the name snafu all my life. And I, we even thought about naming a dog that one time, but we didn't, but you know, I walk in and, and my dad's like, Henry, this is snafu. This is my son, Henry, Henry, this is snafu. I knew immediately who he was. And, you know, he, hey, you do it. It's good to meet you. I mean, your daddy, me a good friends, you know, and, and, it, it was cool to meet him. You know, in 1984, I was 21 years old. You know, I was a college kid. I had other things on my mind. But I look back on it, and I wish I'd spent more time in the room with him. Yeah, I can imagine. But I felt like, hey, you know, I'm I'm home from college. The adults are trying to do their thing. I shook his hand and, you know, looked him in the eye and told him what a pleasure it was to meet him. And then I made myself scarce. And I – I look back, man, I wish I wish I'd stayed in that room longer. But but yes, I did meet him and I certainly all my life knew who Snafu was and and would love to to meet a member of his family. I mean, my dad just God, I heard so many stories about Snafu. I can imagine. Yeah, it'd be interesting to hear from his family how they felt about their father's represent, representation in that many series cuz I know, think like, they were very happy. I think I, yeah. you know, I I would hate to be proven wrong on that. I I think they were, uh, but he has family to this day in in the Louisiana somewhere in Louisiana. But I've not had the pleasure of meeting any of them. The email I started reading from William says, um, "I just had a question for Mister Sledge. Did your family get invited out to the HBO Red Carpet premiere? If they had one for the miniseries, or did you guys just watch it on HBO like the rest of us?" We there were. A number of premieres. We, when I say we, my mother and I, uh, because my brother really didn't want to go, we flew out to Hollywood to go to the Hollywood premiere. That's where I met Tom Hanks for the first time. Um, and then they had a premiere in New Orleans at the World War II Museum. And we went to that premiere. Um, so the answer to the question is yes. Very cool. Um this one, I think, maybe gets this gets into the controversy or the topic of the HPT hat, the uh, Marine Corps versus the Army. Um, Brandon Mallory seems to know a lot about the subject. Great podcast, guys. Regarding the, regarding the types of the Army slash USMC caps, a.k.a. covers, here are pictures as way of clarification. The cover without the EGA on the front was used by the Army and Marines personal alike and is technically an Army um, 1941 pattern HPT cap. The round dome HPT cover is actually an Army Air Corps mechanics hat because I, ac- I accidentally said that 
the army seemed more round like a ball cap, but and he sent a picture of the baseball cap style. That's not what I meant, but that's that was on my, on me. Let's see. The Ronda Dome hat HPT cover is actually an Army Air Corps mechanics hat. The HPT cover with the EGA on the front is a P44, the 1944 pattern. Marines cut. Um, P-44 Marine cover and from photographic evidence was used as early as Iwo Jima and Okinawa. EB Sledge's cover is the M-1941 Army pattern. Now, obviously, I don't have any originals, and I know you have your father's, and maybe you can look on it at some point. Um, to me, you can't really look at the color because the color, to me, it, I always just thought that the Marine Corps one was made from the same material as their sage green uniforms, but I guess not. Obviously, mine's sweatier, but and of course these are from two different manufacturers. But I just assumed that they all had a shorter bill, whereas the army has a longer bill. But mm-hmm. if you, if you look at uh, on yours, now this may be something they change when they start putting the EGA on it. Um, the seam is not in the front. Uh, the one is your father's. Is there a stitching seam, dead nuts in the center? Yes. So it was more similar to the army, whereas in the later year they offset it so they could put the silk screen on there because on the later the p44s the stitching is actually not centered it's offset but mm-hmm. i don't know i guess i'm wrong but so jeff was right they were the same but to me they i mean they i wasn't like, gonna point that out or anything no i'm i'm the i thought <laughs> i'm the first one to admit i was wrong and maybe it's the manufacturers who make the reproductions that make them out of the same material as the p41s but i just assumed that they were marine corps hats made from the same hbt sage green as the p41 uniforms apparently not apparently in real life they would have been closer to this color made from i guess weren't there wasn't the hbt weave different from on the army versus the marine yes that's why it was referred to as herringbone twill and you can really see it on some of those episodes in hd you can see that herringbone pattern if you think of herringbone mm-hmm. like the gold necklaces they almost look like up right. and down chevrons and so when you look at a a new one you can definitely see the herringbone and they were technically sage green whereas the armies were od5 or od7 whatever the od number code was and so technically there was a difference in color but um, we're getting ready to wrap up this week's show. I want to thank everybody else. Um, do, 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 do. Here's one more from Steve. Um, let's see here. Um, in China Marine, your father referred to a friend of his that he shared a foxhole with throughout Okinawa. And um, I'm sorry, uh, throughout Okinawa. And this friend suffered from alcoholism while serving in China. He referred to him as Pete. He said that Pete got so much trouble from being drunk and assaulting MPs uh, that he was in the brig when the rest of them were getting sent home. Did your father ever reveal to you who Pete actually was? You know, I'm, that was in China Marine. Yeah, he, he and he, he makes it known that Pete was not his name. He was obviously protecting yeah. his identity. Um, that is a good question. I, you know, I got to reread China Marine. It's been a long time since I've read it. Um. It's possible that my dad and I talked about that. I will. I will tell you this, and, and I, I'm sorry I can't give a better answer no, no to worries. that question. But this afternoon, when my mother and I were talking, and this is—I mean, look, man—the world owes a debt of gratitude to my dad's wife because to, to my mom because not number one, she's the one who suggested he publish the book, which I already we talked about that last week. But <laughs> I didn't remember this, but you know, my mom said. 
you know, there were like anybody, I mean, you serve with a bunch of guys. There are going to be people who acquit themselves well and then people who maybe don't. Mm-hmm. You know, they break and run under fire or they crack up, whatever. Um, and, you know, my dad talked about some of those things. I didn't know this. My mom said he had wanted to, you know, he used everybody's real name unless he said otherwise, like in the case of Pete in China Marine. She said he wanted to use everybody's real name regardless. Man. And she was the one who said, well, hold on now. Let's let's not, you know, these people have families. They, you know, people are going to read this book. They're going to know, you know, and, and so he acquiesced to her wishes and very wisely so. Um, but I'm sorry I can't give a better answer to the, the question of Pete, but I, I do know that, I think there was a lieutenant that he called Shadow. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I remember my dad talking about that guy. And, you know, I, I think it was my mom felt very strongly that he should not use real names in the case of people who were not going to be spoken of in the best of terms. I think someone may have made that same suggestion to Robert Leckie because he used a lot of guys' names, but there was one lieutenant he strictly referred to as Lieutenant Spearmint, like the gum, because he did not speak of him fondly. And I think someone, or maybe he thought of himself, but yeah, there's definitely a few people in Helmet for My Pillow that he protected because they weren't being portrayed very well by giving them nicknames. Um, And and they were nicknames used, but at no point in that book where their real names published. Uh, we're going to wind down this episode. I want to thank everybody once again for hanging out with us. And um, Hank, and Henry, you coming back. And uh, once again, uh, head over to WTSPWorldWar2.com when this episode airs, and we'll send you guys a link to for the We the Happy Few, the 506, because as Henry said, they're going to do a crossover, crossover episode referring to um, HBO The Pacific, and he is going to be joining in on that. And uh, Jeff, you have any final words for anybody? Yeah, well, first, I want to thank Henry again. I look forward to talking to him again. Uh, now that I've got your your uh, contact information, don't think I won't be reaching yeah. out because I've still got yeah, a million questions. Do. Yeah, poor Henry. Yeah. I texted uh, him at 11 o'clock at night. We'll, we'll be friends for life. I know that. Um, I did. I don't know if I should reveal too much about uh, some of the future episodes, but I think Henry would appreciate this. Mm-hmm. I was reached out to, and, I, and I've told Don, I was reached out to somebody who's asking to have Don and I on his podcast, and I think Henry, uh, he mentioned that he's got you booked for some time in October. Yep. Uh, he's a retired lieutenant colonel, but he also gave me, uh, he's a Marine lieutenant colonel, uh, he also gave me uh, the contact information, and I've since uh, messaged this gentleman who apparently worked for, for Mr. Dale Dye on the Pacific as, I guess, one of the, one of the guys that ran the boot camp for the actors. And uh, reached out to him and, and said, uh, he, he said he'd be honored to be on What's the Scuttlebutt with us. So uh, that's pretty exciting stuff coming up much, much later. But my final thought is, Henry, again, um, thanks for everything that you've shared with us. And I look forward to, to growing our, our, our relationship. And I hope to really meet you one day. And yeah. please give your best to your mother. Yes, please. Yeah, I, will. Both of us. I hope this isn't the last time, guys. No. Your, our door is always open. Um, you know, we'll have you on any time, whether it's to yeah, promote totally new events. It. You I know, ETO stuff too. Yeah, so, you know, yeah. You and I were talking the other day that you know Jeff and I would be happy to have you on to talk about things completely not based on you know the Pacific yeah, or your father, just sharing World War II knowledge all together. But yes, uh, 
I'd love it. Yes, definitely give your best to your mom. And um, that is going to wrap it up for this episode of the What's the Scuttlebutt podcast. Thanks, everybody, for joining us on the live stream. Please, as Jeff and I said, uh, word of mouth is huge. Please share us with your friends on Facebook, uh, Twitter, if any of you guys are still on there, because, well, we won't get into that. But any of the media outlets or even the old-fashioned email, just send a link to our show to your friends, and please get the word out. And if you're on iTunes or any of those podcast apps that allow you to give a review, please give us a a good review and share us, because the more reviews we have, the more likely Apple will share us with other people who listen to other educational podcasts and all that good stuff on the behalf of of Jeff Copsetta and Mr. Henry Sledge. My name is Don Abernathy, and we thank you guys so much for joining us, and we will talk to you all very soon. This has been a Digital 410 production. (laughs) 